0: TheYeshiva.net One of the seminal figures of Jewish history, one of the great rabbinic leaders of the Middle Ages, one of its most important halachic authorities and biblical commentators, was a man known as Rabbeinu Yaakov Baal Haturim. His name was Rab Yaakov, his father's name was Reb Usher, Rabbeinu Yaakov ben Usher. His father was known as the Rosh, Rabbeinu Usher. Rabbeinu Yaakov, Reb Rabbe Asher's son, was born approximately in the year twelve sixty nine. I say approximately because it's circa somewhere at that time in the Jewish calendar would be Hei Alafim Chavtes, five thousand twenty nine from creation. He passed away in the year 5103, 1343. So he was born 1269, and he passed away in 1343, and he's considered one of the great sages of the 13th and 14th century. He's most known in the Jewish world as the Baal HaTurim because of the great halachic work that he wrote known as the Four Turim. Turim means lines. If you remember in Parshas Tetzava, the Kayin Gadol has a Chayshin Mishpat. He has a breastplate. And he has there precious stones. Each stone has its unique color and its unique quality fiber and a name of one of the 12 shvatim that's engraved in it. And the Torah discusses the Tur HaEchad. You have the first Tur. You have Tur HaSheni, the second line. Tur Shlishi, the third, the Tur Revi Using this model, Rabbeinu Yaakov wrote, a powerful and extraordinary halachic work called Arba Turim, the four lines or four aspects of Jewish life in which he divided halacha into the four famous categories of Erechaim, Yoredea, Evana, Ezer, Mishpat. Erechaim means the way of life, which deals with the daily conduct of the Jew. Then you have which means the teacher of knowledge, and that discusses various mitzvahs, things like Shchita, like eating kosher, taruvis, these types of things. Ribis, halachas of of avaydezorah, halachas of tzedakah, halachas of learning, halachas of avaylas, of grief. Different elements connected to kashrus. Evin haezer are all the issues connected with marriage or divorce, relationships. And chaysh mishpat is civil law of Jewish life. A few words about the Baal HaTurim. Because we're, go- we're going to discuss one of his writings, he was born in Germany. He was the third son of the Rosh, Rabbeinu Osher. He learned Torah from his father, who was one of the great Talmudic say, one of the great sages of his day. And uh, he was interestingly very, very poor. At some point, it seemed like he moved from Germany to the West to Spain. He writes. In Tur uh, Erechaim, Simen Reish Membez, he says, a few times I had a conversation with my father, Asher de rosh He says, I have very little of my own. And I don't have enough food. I have to get from others. Do I fall into the category of what the sages said, I say Shabbat Labrius. treat your Shabbos as a regular weekday, which means eat a little bit, Don't go and make yourself needy for other people to support you. It's much better, more dignified, if you can even have a simple Shabbos, so you won't have to beg. And uh, he wanted to know if he goes into that category, or he doesn't go into that category. But the very fact that he raises this question means he was such a great authority, and yet he lived financially in distress. Rabbeinu Yaakov ben Usher is uh, also known because of his commentary on Chumash. It's called Baal HaTurim. Baal HaTurim, which comes from the person who wrote the Turim. It's a very unique type of commentary. It's brief. It's concise. A lot of numerology. A lot of gematria. But one such commentary I want to explore today on Parsha's Dvarim. It's one of those famous ideas in the Balaturim that whenever there's a word that's used in Chumash, you have to be able to do in your mind a search. Where is that word found again? And if it's found somewhere again, there's a connection. And sometimes it's found in two places, three places, four places, five places. The same exact word. The Balaturim will show its association. And it's a fascinating, fascinating approach where you see a word... You highlight it, today it's very easy with our search engines, you put in the word and you see where everything is. In the previous generation they had the concredancia, which allowed you to do it in the written form, the printed form. The Balaturim, of course, lived even before there was a printing press, before printing was invented, and therefore the Balaturim, of course, like other sages, they knew the Tanakh pretty much backwards and forwards. So when he hears a word in Chumash, where is that word brought again? Such a balaturim we have in our parsha. And let me tell you the context. Dvarim opens up with the last will and testament of Moshe Rabbeinu. He gives his final presentation, his final sermon. Eila hadvarim asher diber Be'ever These are the words, the last words, that Moshe, the great shepherd of Israel, communicates to his people over the last weeks of his life. As the Pasa continues, he begins to teach and expound the Torah to his people on the first day of the 11th month, which would be Rish Chodesh Shvat, which means since Moshe Rabbeinu passed away on the 7th of Adar, so this was literally five weeks before the end of his life. The last five weeks of his life, what did Moshe do? He didn't go into isolated meditation, He sat or stood and spoke to his people. He recorded their whole history. He repeated the mitzvahs that he shared. He shared with them his love, his passions, his ideals. He glorified and he explained to them who they are, where they come from, what their destiny is. He warned them about all types of possible stumbling blocks and pitfalls. He really imbued the Jewish people not only with technical commandments and mitzvahs, although he did that as well, but also with the weltanschauung of the Jew, with the hashkafas eilim, the perspective, what it means to be a Jew, who is the Jew, what is his or her role and mission in this world, what are the dangers that lurk at us that we must be cautious about, what are the great virtues, blessings, and powerful. Possibilities for the Jewish people collectively and individually. This becomes the famous fifth book of Chumash Sefer Dvar. and the way it begins is: these are the words that Moshe spoke to the Jewish people be'everayarden in the Trans Jordan on the eastern side of the Jordan. And the pasuk says, "It was the fortieth year, the first day of the eleventh month. He spoke to the Jews based on what God commanded him to say." And I quote: Perik Aleph Pasuk Deuteronomy chapter one verse five. In the eastern side of the Jordan, in the land of Mayav, today's Jordan, today's country of Jordan, on the on the eastern side of the Jordan River, Moshe began to expound to explain the Torah. And here begins from verse 6, Pasuk Vav begins the actual presentation. Comes the Balaturim and says, mm, Hayil, Hayil is an interesting word. It's not a frequent term in Chumash. Where does it say Hayl? Says the Balaturim, let's look, where else does it say Hail in the Tanakh? So he says, Gimel B'mesayra. We have three times the word "hail" in the Tanakh. What are the other two times? First time is here, The second time is, The third time is, Now let's discuss each one of these three, and see how the Balaturim connects them. At first glance, it seems like a technical thing, Hayil but the Balaturim reveals an extraordinary, powerful, life-changing message in the choice of the word, the choice of words. Because in Torah, it's not just the context, the theme. The choice of every word is meticulous, it's precise, and it contains divine infinity. So every word, and which word is chosen? You could say different words to convey the same theme. The word ch- Hayal is chosen there because it's also associated with another two heils. The next ha'il is from Shmuel Aleph, Perik Yud Beis, Posik Chav Beis. Samuel 1, chapter 12, verse 22. The context is, Shmuel Hanavi is speaking to the Jewish people. The Jewish people wanted a king, a monarch. Shmuel is upset about it, but he did get a king for them. With the direction of Hashem, he coronated and anointed Shoel as the first melech, the first king of the Jewish people. It wouldn't last long, but Shoal is the first king, and Shmuel speaks to the Jewish people. He rebukes them, he chastises them, he speaks about the dangers of monarchy. He speaks about the fact that the Jewish people, the Jewish people's desire for a monarch was not coming for good reason. God is your king, you don't need a human king. The king really becomes, there's always the dangers of dictatorship and absolute power. And then Shmuel speaks to the Jews and he says, but I want you to remember, whatever happens, don't be despondent because they were so remorseful. He says, Never, Will God abandon his people because of his great name? Because Hail, because Hashem desired to turn you into his nation. That's the second time it says Hayil. The Mitsuddh's David says, What's Hail? Hayil is Ratzah. Hashem wanted to make you into his nation. Here Rashi says Hayel is he began. But Hayil also means he wants. We have it also in Shmois, Parsha Shmois, about Moshe. It says, Vayoyel Moshe. Not Hoyal, but Vayoyel. Vayoyal Moshe Lashavasa Seish. Moshe married Sipira, and he desired, he agreed, he consented to sit, to stay with his father in Yisra. So the Balaturim says, this is the second hill. The first Hoyal is by us. On Shvat on the Transjordan, Moshe desired or consented or agreed or acquiesced to teach the Torah. And here in Shmuel, it says Hashem will never abandon you. Why? Because Ki hayil hashem, lasis eschem lo hashem desired, he chose to turn you into his nation. Another, by the way, the explanation of hayil is that he made an oath. Some say hayil is a type of oath, like Allah. Allah is an oath. In fact, Rashi says there, hayil Hashem means God swore that he is your God and you're his people. Nishba, Hashem, swore, it was like an oath that you are His people forever. Just like it says, Moshe made an oath to his father-in-law that he will not leave Midian without his permission. Rashi says there, other people say he did different oaths. What's the third ha'il? Let's see the third ha'il. We have ha'il Moshe Beir Esatayra, Hashem Lassus Eschem Loy and now we come to the third ha'il. The third ha'il takes us to the book of Hoyshe'ah, we went from, from Dvarim to Shmuel, now we go to Hosea, The prophet Isaiah, chapter 5, Perik Posik Yud Aleph. Now, this is a very uh, scathing chapter in the Tanakh. Hosea is a prophet, he turns to the Jewish people in the beginning of the chapter and he says, Shimu v'akshivu beis I want all the Kayanim, the house of the Jewish people, the house of the king, to listen to my words. I want them to hear my musr. He speaks about the promiscuity, the contamination, the impurity, the relationships that broke down in the Jewish world at the time. The mistakes, the sins, the transgressions. Very sharp words, extremely sharp words. And then, in Pasek Aleph, he says, I quote, Ashuk Ephraim, Ritzutz Mishpat, Ki Halach Acharei Translation. Ephraim, the nation of Ephraim, representing the Jewish people and also Ephraim, have been robbed, have been abducted. By the enemy. You know why? Because Hail, because he wanted to follow the excrement of idolatry. The Jewish people have surrendered to the Tsav. The Mitsudas Tsian says it's Miloshan tzoya, which basically means filth, excrement. Others say, Tsav is they followed the commandments of the of the false prophets or of Yiravim ben Benavat to worship idolatry. So Hesheya says, Ashuk Ephraim. Ephraim has been robbed by thugs, meaning the Jewish people have been destroyed physically and spiritually. Ratsutz Mishpat, they have been crushed by justice. And what's the reason for this? The reason is, holach tzav. Since he wanted, he chose to follow tzav, the excrement, the tzoya, the filth of idolatry, or tzav following, another interpretation, the commandments, tzav, like the tzavah, of Yeruvim ben Avot, who created idols and told the Jews to worship them, and he came from Shevet Ephraim, and all the prophets of the Baal, who promised the Jews that if they follow idolatry, they will have a blissful life, they don't need to follow God. And because of this, the end was a disaster on every level. Because their life of idolatry was a life that broke and destroyed all morality, created promiscuity, shamelessness, murder, violence, bloodshed, sacrificing children, and all of the other horrific rituals of the Baal idol and the many other idols that they worshipped. Asks the Balaturim: what is the connection between these three Hoyels? In fact, you can't get more distinct themes than these three Hoyels. In Parshas Dvarim, what's Hoyel? Hoyel Moshe Be'es HaTarazois. Moshe chose to start explaining and teaching Torah. at the end of his life. And he's going to start teaching Torah. This is what his commitment is. This is Hoyel. He decided he wanted to. He consented to. He embraced his role now as a teacher. And understand this is not a small thing. Because he's about to pass away. What does a person do right before he passes away? This is a difficult moment. Moshe did not want to die. Moshe wanted to go into Torah Tisro. Moshe wanted his children to succeed him. None of that would happen. He would not go into Eretz Israel. His children would not succeed him. Yeshua would succeed him. What does he now do? He's not busy building a personal portfolio for him and his family because his family is not even going to take over his position. Nor is he busy preparing for his last journey because he's not going anywhere. He's going to remain here in the Midbar, as Hashem told him numerous times at this point. So what does Moshe now do with the last weeks of his life? It's a very, very powerful because some would think, as one of the Mepharshim said, there are points out, Marisha, you would think Moshe might be angry at the people. He led them for 40 years and ultimately seems like a failure. He's not even going to the place he wanted to go so much. And it was because of them. He's going to say later. Mepharshim could feel disheartened, demoralized, may surrender to the spear deep, perhaps, anxiety and stress relative to his level. What does Moshe do the last weeks? (laughs) He shares Torah with the Jewish people. He becomes the eternal teacher of Klal Yisrael. And in that sense, he lives on every day, every hour, every moment in Jewish life. We hear Moshe Rabbeinu teaching us. We read his words, we discern his words, we meditate on his words, we internalize his words, and most importantly, we live his words. The quintessential leader emerges now. Without any personal agenda or benefit, he's about to leave and he thinks, how am I going to communicate the great ideals and values of our people for which we were created and chosen to change the world? I want to share this with them. That's the first ha'il. The second ha'il is a very different subject. Shmuel is chastising the people. Generations later, hundreds of years after Moshe. And the Jews are despondent. And he says, don't worry. Ha'il Hashem lasas eschem loy Hashem desired to choose, you as, to choose you as his people. This is Shmuel comforting the Jewish people. Hashem He will never abandon you. Ki Hashem God shows you as His people. The third ha'il in Hosea perukeh is of the opposite extreme. At least the first two are somehow connected in some way. The third one is actually a very, very tragic ha'il. Ha'il halach acheretzov. The Jews allowed their souls and their minds to be abducted by excrement. This ha'il and the other ha'ils are not planets apart, not even universes apart. There is a gulf of infinity that separates them. The first ha'il is: I want to teach Torah and give my people their timeless mandate and destiny. The second ha'il is God's eternal choice of the Jewish people, and the third ha'il is the people who abandon both God and the Torah and Moshe and Holach Holach sold their soul. To the tzav, to the filth and the excrement of immorality, promiscuity, adultery, idolatry, of the pagan idols and all of their horrific immoral rituals? Or tzav as the tzavaz, the commandments of the false prophets of the Baal and of Iravan ben who was as the Pekeavis as Choyta Machta And yet the Baal Aturim says the Tanakh chooses in each one of these psukim the same word, Hayil. Why? So the Balaturim answers, listen to his answer, and I'm going to quote, Ha'inu da'amrin. This is the essence of what has been said by the sages in Kiddush and Lamed Vav. Bein kach, u bein kach, kruyin bonov shelmokim. Bein oisin ritzoyin shelmokim, shemekayimen esatoyle, da hainu hoyil moyeshe, u bein oivde avodas kachavim o mazalas, da hainu holach achare tzav. Hoyil Hashem eshem loy Wow. Palaturim says these three hoyils become the foundation of Yiddishkeit and of the Jewish people. And he quotes here very briefly. He, re- he alludes to, I should say, a debate in the Gemara and Talmud tractate Kiddushin thirty six b daflamet Base. We are called bonim atom l'Hashem children of Hashem. So the Gemara cites an argument between two of the great sages of the second century after the common era, Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Yehuda says, When you behave like children, with loyalty, with dedication, then you're a child, you're considered children. But if not, you're not considered children. Rabbi Meir disagrees, he says, Be'nkach u'beinkach atam kruyim bonem. Whether you follow God's will, or heaven forbid you disobey God's will, a child you remain forever. Bein kach o kach, whether you go this way or that way, you will always be a child. And Reb Meir proves it from 4 Pesukim and Tanach, where he so goes through showing in the Tanakh in different places, one of them is from Haishaya, the last one from Haishaya, that even though the Jewish people may have betrayed the will of Hashem betrayed the relationship the covenant that the Yoylum, the creator made with them kach, oh, kach, you're called a child you're still my child there may be disappointment there may be pain, there may be turmoil but a child you are and here is the fascinating thing usually whenever there's an argument between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Meir usually the halacha follows Rabbi Yehuda this case is an exception the is like Reb Meir. The rajba, one of the great Rishonim, and the great leaders of 13th century Spanish Jewry, Rabbeinu Shloimeh ben Aderes, the rajba, writes in his response, that in this instance, the is like Reb Meir. Even a Jew who has betrayed his Judaism and even went to engage in idolatry, he's still considered a Jew. The Gemara says, afal pi Yistralu, and it says it about Achan, who was a great sinner, Sanhedrin 44, Sanhedrin Memdala. The Rajput says, because Reb Meir brought so many psukim to support him, therefore the halacha is like Reb Meir. And it's interesting that in Sifri, which is the famous, one of the great midrashim on Sefer Dvarim, at the end, towards the end of the Chumash, it seems like Reb Yehuda actually submitted and acquiesced to the position of Reb Meir. So therefore, obviously the Allah is like Rav because at the end there was no argument anymore. Rabbi Hud agreed with Rabmeir. Says the Baal you know where the sages understood this from? Not only from those psukim, but also from these three hayals. He says, because let's look at this. What are the three hyals? The Baal says. The first Hyal in Dvarim is Hayal Maishah Beir, Esatayir Hazais. Maisha is giving the Torah to the Jewish people. In other words... This is a Hayil that inspires Jews who are listening and are learning and are living the values, the ideals, and the truths of Torah. That's the first Hayil. What's the second Hayil? The exact opposite. Hail halach achare It's when the Jewish people abandon their oneness with the divine. When the Jewish people neglect their inner spiritual core. It's when the person falls and stumbles and gets confused and goes down a path that is painful, and is ultimately a betrayal of his or her innermost values, and his or her innermost relationship with themselves and with truth, instead of following the unity of life, and the truth of life, and the essence of life, and the moral code of Torah, the person ends up becoming addicted to filth, to excrement, to garbage to things that are valueless, inconsequential, insignificance, and could be morally destructive. The person allows their moral fiber to decompose and their soul to disintegrate and their connection with their innermost core to be lost, God forbid. So the two Hoyels are diametrically opposed. Here you have a people sitting at the feet of our great master and teacher, Moshe Rabbeinu, who is teaching them, one hayil. And in Hosea you have a a people who bid farewell to their innermost calling and truth. They have been enticed and lured into the orgies of idolatry by the prophets of the Baal and by people like Yeravim ben Evot who were mitzava, and schlepped them into a life that ultimately undermined their moral Standing, their political standing, their unity, their military standing, and their civilization on every level, spiritually and intellectually and emotionally and socially. Two opposite hoils. You might think hoil here and hoil there are completely opposite. They could never meet, they could never connect. There's a third hoil. And what's the third Hoyel? Says the Balaturim. Hayil Hashem lasas eschem loy la'am. God chose to make you His nation. Whether you are a nation that is following Moshe Rabbeinu's Torah, even when, sadly and unfortunately, you become a nation that abandons that and rejects it, and instead you're following Tsav still, Hashem Hashem wanted and chose you as a nation because, because you always, always remain a child. Because you always remain a child, even if there is betrayal, and even if you have made terrible, terrible choices, and even if you have done things to destroy yourself and destroy your covenant, and that causes the Rebbeinah untold pain. And it creates havoc, it wreaks havoc in your life and in the life of Eretz Yisrael at that time and in the life of the Jewish people in the world. But don't think for a moment that the relationship is gone. You're still my child and you're still my nation. Now, says the balaturim we understand beautifully why in these three places it says Hail, Because the first Hail is talking about the Jewish people living a terror life. The second Hoyel is the exact opposite. that's when the Jewish people, not only are they not observing Torah, but basically they're now worshipping pagan idols. They basically sold their soul for the devil. So you have your Mamash two opposite Hoyels. One is the Benkach and the Benkach. Whether you go like this or go like this. And what's the third Hoyel? Benkach or Benkach. Whether you went to this hoil or you went to that hoyil, Atem, kruim bonim. You're still my child. Hashem, You will always remain God's people. You will always remain Hashem's child. The love may be wrought with pain and disappointment, but the love is unconditional, absolute, non-negotiable, indestructible. On the contrary, the reason there is so much pain is because the relationship is so profound and so real and so authentic. Says the Balaturim, Moshe Rabbeinu is about to pass away. He begins, he consents, he wishes to teach them the whole Torah. But in this word, there's also a code. There's a coded message that Moshe Rabbeinu is communicating to them. This is the coded message. When I begin to teach you Torah in the last days of my life, I want you to understand what Torah is, and I want you to understand how Torah perceives you. As Moshe Rabbeinu is about to give them all of the Torah and mitzvahs during the last five weeks of his life, the Torah uses the word Hayl. The whole word Hayl is superfluous. It doesn't even even seem to have to be here. could have said, What's the Hayl? Moshe is also giving them a coded message. The coded message is your history is going to be long. You may encounter many stumbling blocks. You may also fail. Never ever think that because you have sadly abandoned what I have, the teachings that I have been giving you, therefore you are eternally disconnected. The Torah is embedded in your very DNA. Your relationship with Hashem is the core of your reality. At the core, you are always divine. You always remain a child. And a child is inseparable from a mother and a father. This doesn't mean a father and mother are not pained by the reality of a child. Unconditional love doesn't mean that there's no pain. Unconditional love doesn't mean I agree with everything. It doesn't mean that everything is rosy and dandy and wonderful and beautiful and and so forth. It does mean that the relationship is never, ever destroyed. It does mean that notwithstanding behaviors that may be very painful, not only to Tati and mommy but to you yourself, that's the real reason they should be painful to Tati and mommy, not because of their ego, but because it's betraying the child himself or herself. But still, the relationship is stronger than everything. The relationship must be stronger and bigger than everything. It must be able to contain inside of it the pain. And it's not easy because sometimes the pain of betrayal, the pain of seeing certain things, is so acute that we feel the easiest thing is let's sever the relationship, let's cut the cords. If we can cut the cords, I'm a chaya. Let's amputate the limb, and then I won't have to deal with it. But let's remember about phantom pain. The brain can't amputate the limb. Physically, one can amputate a limb, but the brain knows this is part of my organism. So even when it's physically not there, the brain is still connected to it. When parents disown a child or they sever cords with a child, it may seem temporarily, Baruch Hashem, we got rid of the problem. No, that creates much more pain. All the pain of a relationship with a child who's living a life that is wanting, who is doing things that may be very, very wrong and very, very destructive, and that's terribly painful. Can't even describe it in words. It pales in comparison to the pain you have if you cut your cords, if you amputate that limb, if you separate yourself from your child, if you disown your child, and there's no relationship. Emma. That pain is deeper than all the other pains. Because the relationship is more infinite than anything else. This begins because that's how it's on our relationship with Hashem. So, Moshe, Moshe says, you are a people of Torah. Your mandate is Torah. Torah and mitzvahs is It's the lifeline of the Jewish people. But remember what that means. Never allow the Torah to become an excuse for severing your relationship with your child or for thinking that your relationship with Hashem is severed. What do you mean? The Jews went to excrement, they went to filth, they went to Avaydazorah. Says the Balaturim, there's a third Hayil. The relationship between Hashem and the Jewish people is essential, it's intrinsic, it's innate, it's invincible, it's non negotiable, it's absolute, it's timeless, it's eternal, it's indestructible. Even if consciously, I'm not connected. I don't want to be connected. I'm in doubt. I'm uncertain. Or I think I'm certain. I'm confused. Okay. One day, I'll have to mend my ways. I'll have to repair. I'll I'll experience remorse. I have to do tshuva. But even right now, that hoyel encompasses the other hoyels. That Hoyil of Shmuel that Hashem chose to make you as people is a hoyel that pervades all the hoyels because whenever there's a hoyel, it's connected. That oneness, that relationship is a oneness that pervades. Hayil but it also pervades the Hashem choosing you as His eternal people, as somebody He is always connected to and you always remain one with Him. You always remain in the space of infinite. One is a chelik alekamimal bonim is ben kachu It pervades the hoyel Moshe b'eres hatayra, and it also permeates the hoyel holach acheret zav. Even when the Jews are in the state of holach acheret zav, there is still the hoyel Hashem l'asus eshem loylaham. There is still the powerful, powerful, unbreakable link and connection that the Torah and the mitzvahs and Yiddishkeit are embedded in the core of every Jew, and therefore ultimately, every soul ultimately goes back to itself, its true self, whereas Shalem Ibn Gabiril, great Spanish poet, writes, I run away from you towards you. Even as I'm running away from you, I'm really only creating a path to come back to you. It's just a different type of path. Sometimes I run away from you. It seems like I'm distancing myself from you. I'm just creating a new path through which I will ultimately arrive to you. That path may be painful. That path may be winding. That path may be crooked. That path may be confusing. That path may turn into a maze. (laughs) But it's a path. It's a path through which I will ultimately come back to you, through which I will ultimately find you, and in a much deeper way than I had the ability to discover you in the first place. Which is why God allows us to get lost in life. Because the k'yach of tshuva, of return of transformation, is always far more profound. So even when I'm running away from you, consciously I'm running away from you, subconsciously, I'm creating a new path to reach you in a much deeper way. In a much more acute way, in a much more profound way. The Hoyle Hashem Lassus Eschem Loyle Am encompasses every state of the Jew, collectively and individually. The Hoyle Moshe Beir Satoraz Oisleimer, and even Chalila, the Hoyle Halach Achre Tzav. As the Mefarshim say, Tzav is the commandment of Yeruvam ben Evot from the tribe of Ephraim for the Jews to worship idolatry. But Yeruvam ben Avot, the Rambam writes in a famous letter called Igeris Hashmad, the Rambam says that Yeruvam ben Evot is going to be punished not only for the fact that he restored idolatry to Jewish life, he created two golden calves in Dun and Bethel. And really brought down Klal to the spiritual abyss. Yiravim was one of the greatest of the generation, Sanhedrin Kuf Gimel, and yet He spiritually destroyed the fabric, the moral fabric of the Jewish people. Says the Rambam, he won't only be punished for that; he won't only be punished for all the crime and misdemeanors and all the immorality that he introduced. you know what else he'll be punished for? I quote the Rambam, for cooking. On Yom Tif for the next day of Shabbos, without making an eruv tavshilah, we all know there's a halacha that for Yom Tif you're allowed to cook food to eat on Yom Tif. but you're not allowed to cook Yom Tif food for tomorrow for the weekday. Yom Tif, the Torah allows you to cook food oichel nefesh to eat on Yom Tov. Who but not for tomorrow. What if Shabbos is coming? So I can't cook from Friday on Shabbos because it's Yom Tif. But if there's potential that a guest might come, Hoyal. also Hoyl. <laughs> That's another Hoyl. The Moira says, because it's very possible that a guest may show up on Friday and I'll give him the food that I prepared for Shabbat. So this food is not considered Mama Shabbos dika food, even though a guest might not show up and I'm going to give him that, and I'll have the food for Shabbos, but since potentially it could still be eaten today by a hungry child or a hungry guest or a hungry cousin or stranger or friend who comes into the house, therefore you're allowed to do it, but you have to make an Erev Tafshil. Okay, There's two opinions, Rabbi and Chizda. but general consensus is you have to make an Erev tafshilah. Why? Because the Rabbi still wanted that you should recognize Shabbos is coming, and therefore we start cooking the Shabbos, the food before Yom Taf, Erev Yom Taf. Thursday or Friday, or Wednesday, we put away the food there, you cook up your food, you make an Erev Tafshilin, and then you're allowed to cook on Friday for Shabbos, because you made an Erev Tafshilin, a special designated two dishes that you put away Erev Yom specially for the Shabbos, de Kameel. Says the Rambam, your Ravim Benavot is going to be punished for cooking extra fruit on Friday, for putting up the blintzes, for putting up the soup and the knedlach, for baking the challah or for making a cheesecake for Shabbos when it was Yom Tif. That's what the Rambam says. <laughs> now I ask you a question. Is this Rambam a novel idea or not a novel idea? It seems like the Rambam is saying it's a chiddish. But well, what's the chiddish? Just because he's a sinner, therefore he can get away with things that I can't get away with, that you can't get away with? The Gemara has an expression. Just because somebody ate garlic and he smells, therefore he should eat more garlic and smell more? So, Yerava did bigger sins, therefore what? Therefore, he should be exonerated for doing smaller sins? That's not fair. Just because somebody did a great crime, right? And then he steals a hundred bucks from a beggar, so therefore he shouldn't be penalized because he did bigger sins? Why should Yerava Menavat not be punished for, for cooking on Yom Tov without a tafshil, Tafshilin if he's cooking the food for Shabbos? Me, yeah, you, yes, and you're not. Why? Because the guy is a big criminal, so what? <laughs> we have a concept in Allah called Kam le'bedirabimene. Kam le'bedirabimene means two punishments, you give the person the bigger one. But the Ramam is saying, even from a heavenly perspective, he's responsible for your Why not? The Ramam is really saying a big chiddush. And this is the chiddush that the Balaturim sees in the word "ha'il." What's the reason that Hashem holds a Jew accountable for every mitzvah, for every aver? What's the reason for it? The reason is the Navi says, the Navi Tzvanya says, Kirak eshem yodati mikol Mishpachai adama it's you who I love, you who I love from all the nations of the world, and therefore I remember all of your sins. The reason why a mitzvah or a sin is so important is because of the depth of the relationship that a Jew has with the creator of the world. Think of it in terms of a marriage, or in terms of children and parents. If a stranger travels for three months and doesn't tell me that they went away, pre-corona, or post-corona, or mid-corona, I don't get upset. If somebody who is an acquaintance in shul, acquaintance, a friend, goes away for a year, they don't tell me. I'm not going to get upset. They didn't tell me. Well, they don't have to tell me what they're doing with their life. But if your husband leaves for three months and doesn't let you know, doesn't discuss it with you, doesn't have a conversation about it, doesn't let you know what happened. If your child just leaves for three months without leaving you a text message, without a telephone call, not only will you feel hurt, you will feel devastated, betrayed, broken. Why? Because there is so much dependency, because there's a relationship here, because I need you, because we're connected. You're not an isolated creature living in a cocoon. You're not just living in a vacuum disconnected from everybody else. You're part of my life. (laughs) person makes a comment to you the comment may be not the most complimentary comment but okay you can let it uh, you know slide off you hopefully if your spouse says something to you that's hurtful it's very different why because the closeness is so deep and because the closeness is so deep the distance is so hurtful if we wouldn't be so close we can't become so far It's because what you do matters to me. It's because I rely on you. I'm dependent on you. You're my support. I support you. You support me. It's because we're best friends. So even a subtle comment, which for somebody else doesn't mean anything, but for our relationship, it means the world. Sometimes that subtle comment between two people who are so close to each other is much more devastating than a brute, harsh comment between two people who are not so close because it's always commensurate with how deep our intimate relationship is. Says the Novitzvanyev, incredible words. A Jew has to understand who he or she is. Imagine the President of the United States of America, whoever the President is. The President of the United States of America is, I'm going to the forest to meditate for a few months. I'm, I've been stressful time, corona, I'm going to meditate for a few, I'm not telling everybody, I'm telling anybody where I am. There's something off, right? What about the black suitcase? You're not just a homeless beggar living in a subway station, you're the President of the United States of America. Too much is dependent upon you to make believe that your existence doesn't matter. There's the black suitcase. So many things can happen. You're at the helm. You're at the captain of a ship. The captain of a ship can't just abandon a ship, make believe it's nothing. You're too big and important to make believe you're small and insignificant. Your presence has a tremendous impact. You may be called on to make great, great decisions. You can't just disappear. And if you do, it's a betrayal of everything that you... It's it's one of the greatest betrayals of humanity because of, of what depends on you. That's how Judaism sees a person. I don't know of any other religion or philosophy or perspective that has conferred infinite dignity on every individual. Or as the Rambam says in Hilchas Tshuva, you have to see yourself and the world as equally balanced. Look at the world and in yourself as a balanced scale, and I do one mitzvah and I tip the scale and I brought salvation and light and redemption to the whole world. What does this mean? You know who I am? I'm one of 7.7 billion people living on a planet with many, many more living organisms. Part of a cosmos that if you just go 4 billion miles away and you take a picture of planet Earth, you will not even see our planet. We will be almost a tiny invisible blue dot. They have done it. And in that little dot, I exist. I'm smaller than a grain of sand. I'm less significant than an ant. Jewish perspective sees it very different. You are too big to make yourself small. Your thoughts, your words, your actions have a cataclysmic impact, not only on you and your family and your community, on all of history, past, present, future, on the Reboi Nishal himself, himself. Hashem says, don't make believe you're small and valueless and insignificant. Your thoughts matter. Your words are powerful. You're my partner in the work of creation. This is not about guilt. <laughs> a lot of us take this as trauma and guilt and another burden, another burden. It's about empowerment, understanding who you are, what you are, what your potential is. Seeing yourself in the proper light, and the proper context. Imagine a person understands his or her ability to change the world, to bring light to people, to kindle sparks, to embrace hearts, to empower minds. Judaism says, look at who you are, you're an ambassador of the divine, an ambassador of love, light, hope, healing, redemption, authenticity, wisdom, integrity. What did Shmuel Hanovi, the same Shmuel Hanovi, tell Shaul, You may be small in your own eyes, but you're a leader of the Jewish people, God anointed you to be a king. In some measure, it's true about every single person. I may look in the mirror and say, I'm a garnished, I'm a nobody. Right now, at this moment, you're an ambassador to change the world in your own way, beginning with changing yourself. It always begins with changing myself, bringing the light into myself. That's why every act matters. That's why a mitzvah is so powerful. That's why an aver is so painful. Why? Because every movement, every moment, every machshave, every dibor, every maisa, a a movement of a Jew is Negeya and atzmos soif Touches the core of Hashem Himself. This doesn't mean I don't make mistakes. Part of that is that I make mistakes. That's part of why God loves us, because we're human and mortal and frail, and we could fall and get up again and experience rejuvenation and renaissance and say, I'm sorry. Perfection is not... The dream of life. Accountability is what I want to aspire to. Not perfection. Accountability. This is what the Rambam is saying. I cooked on Yom Tif for Shabbos. Who cares? I take my gefilte fish and I put it in the oven. I take my blintzes. I take my soup and I cook it on Yom Tif. Not to eat today, but to eat tomorrow on Shabbos. Who cares? That question of who cares is not a Jewish question. Who cares? The world cares. The universe cares. God cares. Tov is a real entity. Tov is a time when divine energy is manifested in the world in a unique way. Chilul Tov, violating the Kedusha of Tov, is a very powerful thing. If somebody says, oh, "Who cares you detonate the bomb or you allow the nuclear energy to be unleashed." What do you mean, who cares? So <laughs> you click a button. Do you know what this button is? This button can change a world in one way or another way. Just a click. You say it's a tiny atom. What's a tiny atom? You split an atom <laughs> and you know what type of energy you unleash? You can heal the world or destroy the world with atomic energy, nuclear energy. Hiroshima Nagasaki, 1945, what it did, what it achieved. It ended a war, Pacific War, but how much, how much pain, how much devastation? Don't say it. it's a small, invisible, tiny atom. I can't even see it with my eyes. It's yumtiv, it's Shabbos. A Jew cooks on Shabbos, a Jew cooks on Tov. There's a Kedushas Shabbos in the woods, a Kedushas Yom Tiff in the world. So you say, but I'm a little guy. No, you're not. <laughs> you're no little person. You are a manifestation of this holiness in the world. A Jew says it's Shabbos. I carried on Shabbos. I took a pen, I took a key, and I went to a public domain. I took a bag from my house into a public domain. Big deal. I lit a fire. I planted. I planted a seed in my garden. I promoted my plants. I watered, I watered them. Or I did some plowing or some harvesting or some, or some winnowing or some selecting or some threshing or some kneading or some baking or some cooking. I wrote a few letters. I erased a few letters. I lit a fire. Relax. But what does Judaism look at? It? How does Judaism look at it? I carried from my house into a public domain. Now what happens? if you see yourself as the interlacing link between heaven and earth, you stand at the vortex of reality. You are the link between the infinite and the finite, between the physical and the spiritual. You are the one who brings the world together. You are the human being who stands in the eye of the storm, peaceful, tranquil, Revealing the harmony and the unity. One act, one mitzvah, one avela, is very real. It's very authentic. It has an impact. I'm not just an insignificant creature on an insignificant planet. Some infinitesimal blimp on the surface of infinity. And a random mutation that came here by mistake. The human being is a manifestation of divine infinity in this world. You are the light of Hashem in this world, and therefore what I do and doesn't do matters. It really matters. It matters not only to me and to my mother and to my sister and to my child and to my wife. It matters to God, the source of infinity. Says the Rambam, you would think you're Oven ben He severed the relationship. It's over. It's finished. He had potential, but he, uh, look what he did. So much idolatry, God disowns him. Cook on Yom Tif as much as you want. Do we mind if a non Jew cooks on Yom Tif for Shabbos? Because I'm cook. Why? I'm not allowed to cook on Yom Tif, you're allowed to. I don't care if a non Jew plants on Shabbos and plows on Shabbos. Why? He has his Shevimitch's B'nai he has a different mission. The non Jew has his mission in the world. He's not responsible for the sacredness of Shabbos. That's not his universe, it's not his world. But when a Jew cooks on Shabbos, it's a whole different parasha. You know, Benavat, I go, I shake it. So he cooked without a native of He's cut off if he's cut off. If a couple gets divorced, then you don't have to tell your ex that you're going away for three months. There's no relation. If you're married, I have to tell you before I go away. You have to connect every few hours if you're If you're divorced, so you start calling your ex and say, by the way, I'm going. I don't mean for technical reasons if there's children involved, but I mean there's no relationship. You're divorced. Your ben Avot got divorced, so I don't care if he cooks. On Yom Tif says the Rambam, no. Vu abgeschnitten, ven abgeschnitten. Yeravim ben Avot is not cut off. Pain he caused. Russia he is. Consequences there will be. But even when your rav ben evot cooks on yomtiv without a native tavshilin, it hurts the riboiner shalaylam. It hurts the riboiner shalaylam. It's a stab at the core of reality. Because ben kachu ben kriyim bonim. Because you're always my child. Because the hoyil Hashem lasis eschem loy laam is a hoyil that pervades not only the beirus ha'teira but also the hoyil halach acheret zav. And therefore, never ever give up on a person. Never ever give up on a child. Never ever give up on any human being. And never ever give up on a Jew. Because even when you're seeing things that are so painful and cause you untold agony and turmoil and confusion, remember, there is a deeper hoyle that is embedded in his or her very DNA. And that is, he or she is an infinite priceless, divine gift in this world. See it, identify it, love it, accentuate it, embrace it, believe in them so that they can believe in themselves. Thank you very, very much. I'll take some questions. I already have a smile. Thank you very, very much. Okay, May the smile continue throughout the day and throughout the night and throughout your entire life. I was looking at the chat. Now let me look at the yeshiva.net questions. I don't understand what happened to Yeravim ben Avad. The Gemariah says in Sanhedrin there was nobody who was so prolific in tire like him. That's true. What happened was the Chazal say that the gasus haruach shal Yeravim tordosoy min ha'elam. The arrogance, the hubris of Yeravim ben Avad is what really... Did him in. <laughs> really did him in. A beautiful, beautiful, beautiful message. Thank you. Why are there those who are so quick to condemn and hate and ready to throw out those who may not fit into the mold? If God is willing to accept love, we are always his child. And collectively, individually, we always remain connected. Why shouldn't we be the same with each other? We should. <laughs> We should be the same. It's important to emphasize that sometimes there is so much pain, and there's also fear, you know? Fear, what's going to happen to my home, what's going to happen to my community, what's going to happen to my other children, what type of standards will be introduced. So these are all things we also have to understand and be sensitive to, because there is a certain amount of truth to this. In other words, this class shouldn't be said with such easiness. There are challenges. There's very serious challenges. Because we're not saying that people's behavior doesn't matter. It matters, as I just explained. But the relationship is ultimately bigger than everything and deeper than everything. Because the reason their behavior matters is because of the relationship. And that's what we have to understand. The reason Torah and Mitzvahs matter so much is because of the relationship. If there was no relationship, then Torah and Mitzvahs doesn't matter. Then if you Ben-Evot Kuk San Yomtev without An-Nerv of it doesn't mean much. Kuk Gesundaheit. <laughs> it's because of who you are. It's because what is embedded in you. It's because you have to see yourself as infinite light in this world and therefore my acts are infinite. When you understand that, then you know that even when I make mistakes or my children make mistakes or other people make mistakes see it in the context of the relationship. That's why it's painful. But that also means that the relationship is never destroyed because that relationship is essential, which makes it so painful and yet tells us never allow that pain to cause you to question and obliterate the relationship. So both elements are so important to understand and be sensitive to. So I understand why people are very, very afraid it's There's a challenge here. There's a serious issue here. It's not so easy. But this is the ultimate truth, that severing cords with somebody you love is going to be much more painful than any other pain they might cause you, at least in the majority of cases. There may be exceptions. I'm not talking a case with this physical danger or, or some serious, serious issue that has to be addressed in a unique and rare way. Don't. Please, these are not generalizations about everything in life, but I'm talking on a general basis. Also, this doesn't mean that a child should always stay home. Sometimes the best thing for your child is to be able to go independent and take responsibility. But sending them away in such a case must come from a place of deep empowerment and clarity and love, not from a place of, get out of my life, I never want to see you or hear you again. Next question. If a man... Violates his wife. He does things inappropriate with his wife. Does Hashem still love him as a child? After divorce, they get divorced, and the husband, the ex husband, breaks in and he violates the woman so bad that surgery is required. Does Hashem still love him as a child? First of all, my heart goes out to the person who this happened to. And of course, when somebody behaves like a criminal, they have to be brought to justice, and we have to protect the innocent and do whatever it takes to protect the innocent. Uh, The fact that a human being is carved in the image of God doesn't mean we have a license to do whatever we want. It means we have a privilege and opportunity to live up to who we really are and we'll never be happy without it. But of course it's so important to protect innocent people from abuse, from injustice and from crimes in any form or fashion. Coming from a husband or an ex-husband or anybody else. And we could never ever become a society that condones people who are abusive, people who are disrespectful, people who cause pain and agony to other people, manipulating systems, manipulating leaders, manipulating people through money or prestige or pressure. Never, ever should any of us remain silent in the presence of abuse, in the presence of somebody violating somebody else's life, physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. Never should we remain silent in the presence of a husband, an ex-husband, a wife, an ex-wife, or any human being who literally causes pain, agony, turmoil, and suffering to another human being. Especially rabbis, spiritual leaders, teachers, principals, educators, therapists, mothers, fathers, should never become an accomplice to evil. That is being perpetrated in front of our eyes because then we become partners, even if indirect partners, enabling these, th- these things to happen. So that must always be qualified and always must be emphasized. Next question Where is this Balhaturim that you spoke about? It's in the beginning of Parshas Dvarim, Perik Aleph, Pasik Hay, on the word Hayil. That's Deuteronomy chapter one, verse five. Can you explain the comment about the Bal HaTurim being poor and what he asked his father? Yes, but it's not for now. It needs some longer introductions. God willing, we'll explain it one day. And since you come to all the year, so when I explain it, you'll hear it. I wish you all a meaningful day, an inspiring day.